Drop it on the floor. That's the ass. Let's go. Drop it, 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 drop we're dual but, recording. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Do we? We don't know any more Ali's, do we? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That's a good question. I don't. Yeah, how many Ali's do you know? I don't know. I don't know that I know any Ali's. Personally, or just at all. Do you remember? Do you remember the name of the? As far as I know, the one and only African American Indy car driver. Do you remember his name? Oh, um, hmm, no, I don't think so. Not Lewis Hamilton, obviously. Well, no, right? he's a. You're not talking F1. No, he and he's a successful F1 driver. This was probably in the you know late '80s, early '90s, and he had, he basically like if you were gonna do a bit and come up with the most stereotypical name for a african-american race car driver like this was his name wasn't it leroy something <laughs> well welcome to the show and who is this <laughs> you can find me at point break <laughs> underscore day you can find all the ins- insensitivity there no do you, do you have the answer to this yeah no i have the answer to it i was I, i'm really surprised you don't know the guy's name was well dave was close his name was willie t ribs That's like right his last name was literally ribs it wasn't yes. i was thinking it might have been gordon john cock <laughs> but no he's... but that's that's a good that's a if we wanted to play the late 80s, early 90s IndyCar drivers' names, I guarantee you that I could put you to the mat and you'd be tapping out real quick. <laughs> I busted out Rick Mears and Emerson oh. Fittipaldi and Al Unser Jr. and Tom Sneva, <laughs> Danny Sullivan. Oh, gosh. I'm right there. Danny We're Sullivan in the Miller Lite number 16, I believe. I It was definitely a Miller-branded uh, vehicle, so... So, uh, yeah, so episode 109, is that where we're at? That is. That's where we're that at. The number. That's the terms Tell that's being term. thought in by just about everyone. So after going back and reviewing episode 108, I did notice that we were so excited about talking about our trip that we went through the whole episode and didn't introduce <laughs> the show or ourselves the entire time. I, I think whenever you're scrolling through the feed of our show and you see an episode that clocks in at like an hour and 25 minutes, the, the odds that we were pretty excited <laughs> to talk about it are very high. And when that happens, yeah, any, any kind of formatting that goes right out the window. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you're just real excited about things, you neglect the uh, early on stages. <laughs> yeah. And the hour and 25 is a huge <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Just cut through the formalities and get right down to business. That's what we do on this show. So you can find the show on Twitter at Where to Turn Pod, and you can find me, noted attendee of all WWE <laughs> pay per view events in 2019 to date, and current XFL season ticket holder at Glenn three underscore eleven. 
and all of those are 100% true. Yeah, I don't know how to follow that up. You can find me at Tommy2 underscore zero, but you put down a deposit on XFL season tickets. This actually happened. This definitely, definitely happened on uh, Sunday, I believe. I just got the, uh, just the, the, not on a whim. It was more of, I think an inspiration, not only from our, our man Vince, but once they brought Bob Stoops along, <laughs> like this thing's going to be pretty, pretty legit. And I want in on this at least in year one. So uh, I guess technically I'm only a deposit holder because the tickets are not actually on sale yet. They've still got but, some uh, engineers trying to figure out how they're going to fit a football field inside the ballpark. I'm not worried about that. I think they can, I think they can figure this out. They still put the ring at second base. <laughs> You just play around it like they played around Owen Hart's body in that um, the one pay-per-view. Sir, they removed the body from the ring before they quickly continued on. They did wrestle around the hole in the ring. <laughs> we, that's something that sometime this year we have to go back and revisit that whole story. We can revisit the story, but uh, as the urban legend has it, there is video, but it has never been seen or broadcast anywhere, but somewhere in the... WWE headquarters under lock and key. There is video. Yeah, you know I've crazy uh, is. I mean, it was just probably six years away from there just being. Because now, you know, at an event, everybody is at least, you know, several dozen people are filming with their camera phones at all times in the arena. If it'd been if that had happened six years later, there would be footage of it everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Glenn would be sending it to us in a message from your pastor type email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you can find because I've searched. I've of course spent, you have. Uh, yeah, of course I have. I, I figure there's got to be some kind of whether it's the video or just like a still shot. Um, I think the best I find was found was something that was allegedly him rappelling down from the from the rafters in that arena but it was so far away it was more like this was moments before um the the cord snapped that the the non-union worker tied on in like the most the simplest knot to hold his body and it, it didn't it didn't hold guys it didn't hold no no it didn't so should we speaking of nostalgia should we discuss our uh our plans on the build-up for wrestlemania at this point uh yeah i mean that'd be that that's teasing pretty far ahead that's pretty far this ahead. is talking this is talking second quarter of this year already but um as we noted at the end of the royal rumble episode um next year's goal is to uh the same four of us that went out to phoenix are going to go wherever wrestlemania is and attend that so i think our goal is starting maybe like in may or so to run down one a month go back and review what are considered the top 10 wrestlemanias of all time and go back and uh watch and then review those in an episode as we on our own personal road to wrestlemania 2020 but again great ease but it's going to be like three months before we start doing I was that. Say, so yeah, just, we got a, got a few other things to work out on the way. Yeah, so just uh, have your phones right in front of you and just wait for those episodes to appear. 
and about 90 some odd days from now one will pop up as they magically do will will your pay-per-view attending streak still be intact at that time that's the real question only time will tell we cannot rule it out at this point yeah well, so we're gonna make it through february <laughs> after elimination chamber which uh glenn has already secured tickets to i mean it's everyone's dream to see a fast lane live in person yeah as long as i've had consciousness i've i've known i've wanted to go to that so so where uh where did your tickets end up being located and did you find a person to accompany you to said event yet yeah uh my tickets are in the 100 level about 14 rows up so we're not on the floor uh, but based on the configuration I saw, we are 14 rows up from pretty much the entrance ramp. Nice. Kind of towards the end of the ramp, I nice. guess. Um, so that should be that should be just interesting. And yes, uh, my oldest son will be attending his first WWE event, and it's a pay per view. <laughs> on top what of that, day. wow. Yeah. Have you have he you done have, any any prep work at all with him to prepare him for the unfortunate fact that Mustafa Ali will not be appearing? <laughs> gonna have to sit him down, and that's like, it's my prep for eventually having the talk with him. <laughs> this Mustafa Ali thing's gonna hit him pretty hard. He he will definitely be wearing his Unleash the Big Dog <laughs> Roman Reigns shirt that I got him. Although he he is aware that Roman Reigns will not be there as he is. <laughs> the big dog was unleashed upon him as in a matter of speaking. Yeah. He is trying to prevent entry into life's elimination chamber. <laughs> he's trying to stave that off as long as he can. He's hoping that he won the gauntlet match so that he could come in last <laughs> as it were. Yes, for, for sure. So I, I think... Uh, Maybe you want to save uh, any Elimination Chamber predictions and such for the very end. We should get into our actual topic of the evening. Absolutely. So, True Detective, Episode 6. I believe there's two episodes remaining after this episode. True. And uh, yes. if your reaction was anything like mine when the uh, when the show immediately opened... And I was like, oh boy, we are going to get a purple haze sex scene right out of the shoot here. <laughs> but it was kind of an aftermath. Scene, right. So right? I got all prepared, got all the pulleys and levers arranged, and then only to find out that this was a post-coital scene. As the cigarette was quickly fired up, and <laughs> I realized that any, any chance of my dreams being fulfilled were uh, dashed on this day. Yeah. Despite that not going where you were thinking, a lot in this episode. Oh, for sure. Like, we talked about they need to really start ramping things up in these last three. And I would say episode six brought a, brought a lot of things into light. Yeah, not only, uh, not only for the furthering of the uh, main story, but also, and we'll get to it as we chronologically go through this, but a, a small revelation in the 2015 timeline that had me holding up the double number one sign. Oh, we'll get, but we'll get there. About <laughs> we'll I, get there. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I may, I may so, put that as my highlight of the season so far. <laughs> 
so uh, the first thing after we get into the we get the Hayes wife scene at the end, and apparently they only engage in that type of physical activity after a, a serious argument or like a traumatic event as he's just gotten home from trash man like picking <laughs> off 10 of his colleagues and he's like there's only one way to recover from this <laughs> and it's you let's go um next we transition to 1990 where everybody's decided uh Hey, we didn't quite investigate Tom Purcell enough. Let's see if we can pin this on him real quick. Well, that was all led by the uh, tip line phone call. True. But it's also led by, I guess it's the district attorney. Is that who that guy is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. who, who, his conviction from 1980 has already lost a lot of... Uh, steam as far as its validity so he's like what's the who's the easiest person to pin this on for the next 10 years <laughs> when, no, that, they, uh... when they were going through the evidence though weren't, weren't you kind of going like well you know because because they are so quick in 1980 because you know we like tom and he's kind of that you know lovable loser character but when they're when they're laying it all out there you're kind of going well you know may, maybe we were too quick to rush to judgment on that you know how there's always and this is like kind of like poor tv court dramas there's always the uh, where they catch the guy in the lie because he really knows a lot about something's kind of playing dumb and they get him to you know slip up at some point i was really hoping that was going to happen with tom purcell like it comes out he's really good at fixing cars and they're like how did it take you eight hours to change the oil <laughs> this is like the the uh weather in waco from this show it, it's him him working on that car for six hours straight. But yeah, they, they basically say, you know, the F, I think it's the FBI guys, if I remember correctly, um, are just talking about how, hey, to Roland and Hayes, that they did, didn't really investigate him very, you know, extensively. And why not? And, you know, do we know where he was during that whole timeline type of thing? Is his alibi completely solid? And they have like a hint of doubt about it. And the district attorney's like, Sounds like an indictment to me. So, like anybody who's any way related to these kids, if they can't account for every single minute, that's an indictment. No, it's very much. He just like turns around and the first name he hears, he's like, "Yep, <laughs> sounds like that's who did it." Let's go. Let's go get some pizza, guys. Yeah. Mustafa uh, Ali. Yeah. <laughs> he looks dangerous. Oh. Don't teach your son that kind of stuff when you're there, okay? Just tell no, him he's, he's very high, to embrace, high flying and concussion prone. <laughs> just embrace all cultures, okay? That's what we need to do here. So, Speaking of being uh, embracing of all okay. lifestyles and cultures, so when if you back up, I think two episodes ago, when Roland visited Tom uh, in 1990 and he straightened his his life out and he had the the uh, kind of beaten down mobile home. And there was and that moment that there, well, it was, it's honest, but there was that moment when Tom wanted to pray with him and I just got a weird vibe in that scene. And I feel like that was brilliant filmmaking on the part of the director, because now here we are two episodes later and it is validated that, well, Tom may have some proclivities that he's trying to keep more in the repressed part of his life. 
And I feel like in that yeah. timeline, when that was introduced, it was like, oh, well, for, he's for sure guilty now because that that just immediately <laughs> shifts sure. any any benefit of the doubt you're getting. You're now immediately in the guilty category for that. Yeah. Uh, and is it a red flag if anyone just desperately wants to pray with you? Like if they just want to or you know, pray for you, no big deal. But if they're like grabbing you and they're like, please please let me pray for you. I think it's a red flag. Either something's wrong with them or there's something <laughs> extremely wrong with you. Maybe I know that from firsthand experience, but is it also a red flag? If uh, somebody were to open up your nightstand and there was just a flyer in there that said homosexuality can be cured. Oh, is that what that was? I was watching on my phone. I just assumed they found a Balor club t-shirt. <laughs> So they got to that point because Roland and Hayes took over the questioning and investigation into Tom because they knew that if the other cops or agents or whatever did, that they would probably just tear him apart, maybe get him to confess to something he didn't do because he's emotionally Yeah, I mean, Tom is basically like the Brendan Dassey of uh, True Detective. The cops get him in their room and he will admit to anything. Right. And they kind of play good cop, bad cop with him and, you know, make some insinuations. He may have had something, maybe something to do with this, some kind of involvement. He doesn't handle it well at all emotionally. Like if the other cops had gone in there, I'm not sure it could have gone worse. (laughs) Yeah. Other than him like peeing himself or something. Yeah. That, that, that was the one thing. And of course his character is, you know, he's, I guess at that point, he's supposed to be a recovering alcoholic. He's got a lot of bad things that have gone on in his life. He's obviously, well, obviously, but he he could be a little confused as to what team he plays on. He's struggling with that. He's not sure if he's in the NFL or the XFL. (laughs) Yes, or the AAF. Yeah, he's not. I think he's in the AAF is what he's in. At least least one or two He's basically tried to play football in a baseball stadium at this point. (laughs) Right. So. Because I'm watching that and I'm like, okay, trying to put myself somewhat in that position. And <laughs> you do that all the time, years. though, don't you? <laughs> 10 years. His kids have been killed, or one of them killed, one of them is missing. And they're accusing him of it. Couldn't he just be like, yeah, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why are you even asking me this stuff? Like, why does he immediately have to break down screaming and crying and all that? I guess it just plays into his character, but I'd just be like, this is ridiculous. Why are you even wasting my time with this? So that's how, how when you're accused of a crime, that's how you get out of it? It's just, yes, all the forensic evidence clearly points to me, but how are you even asking me this? (laughs) I've got to go now. (laughs) Sorry, the kickoff's at two. I got to go. I'm trying to remember where they went directly after that had they already talked to the um guy the machine shop boss that was that was the next thing because they go look to his trailer and they find the homosexuality can be cured pamphlet and just an interesting take there like some old uh (laughs) episode title like receipts receipts and like some unpaid bills and some poker chips i think yeah i didn't understand the poker chips were those live casino chips no, they were 
AA chips, like your five day chip, oh. your 10 day chip. Oh, I was like, oh, that's some $10 chips or $25 chips. Well, I mean, there's also the connection of Lucy apparently died in Las Vegas. And if he's got chips from a casino. I mean, I guess I'm pretty sure they were AA chips. No, I think both of those would make sense. I might have to research that for some reason. And I, I don't know what an AA chip looks like, but I didn't think they looked like something that you could take to a cage and get cash money for. I thought they were more like metal, maybe something you could use to mark a putt with. or. So that's your motivation? That's your big payoff for not being an alcoholic before? Here's a chip with a number on it? Yeah, or here's something you can mark your putt on the green with. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to Google real fast what an AA chip looks like. Or is yeah, there even it's... a uniform thing, or is it up to the individual chapter to uh, decide what that looks like? I don't know. Ooh, good point. I don't know. Let us know what you find out. But they, they do go to his former workplace and find out that, you know, they fired him, but he had been having issues with other coworkers, and he I think he had showed up drunk at the job. Maybe he stole some stuff. And then the guys gave him a hard time because they let, – let me find the quote here. I had the subtitle that the guy was kind of mumbly. It's like, did he say what I think he said? Uh, you know what? I think I lost it. Um, but I believe they said they once saw him going into a queer club <laughs> and they gave him a really hard time after that. And he never really fit in there at the place that he worked. Yeah, that was the quote. Uh, I'd like to report that I don't think those were AA chips. Oh, okay. Hey-o. A Google image search does show that there are lots of different styles of AA chips, including brightly colored ones, but they all seem to have the same triangle logo on the front of it with a small number not looking like what Tom uh, had in his drawer. So my unofficial research says no. Maybe they were different in the 90s. Does it have a triangle with like an eyeball at the top of it? <laughs> Think about it. See how that plays in here. No. Oh. Okay. I'm not so going to think about it. Let's, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but essentially everyone that knew Tom, Tom Purcell, everyone he worked with, uh, the cousin that we'll get to later, like everyone except the detectives knew he was gay. <laughs> yeah, like they, they were the in... only one. Yeah. They didn't look into him at all. They just no. he was he was doing whatever he was doing on his uh you know water pump when they got there. He was still doing that seven hours later, and uh, they're like, ah, don't need to talk to this guy. Yeah. So does that speak very highly of like Roland's detective skills as he's mentored this guy through the years, and now he comes to find out like you know kind of a big detail about this guy's personal life and just no clue the whole way through yeah this is the guy we're trusting yeah. to solve this case that said roland is far and away my favorite character on this show yeah no doubt i, I mean so had... go ahead that i didn't get to cover the two episodes before this but like when um hayes and wife come over to his house for like the couple's dinner <laughs> And he hands rolling the flowers. He's just like, ah, oh, thanks. 
<laughs> Roland is the stone nuts, man. <laughs> yeah, he's good. It's a good character. Um, okay, so then the next part, we go to 2015, and Wayne is in the interview with Eliza. I'm just now learning this character's name. And is this a is this a pod? I keep referring to this as she's doing a podcast, but I just making assumptions here. It's, it's called Walk with Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's your title right there. I think it's a TV show, judging by the fact that they have lights and a producer oh, yeah, and a right. camera, and an extremely attractive woman named Eliza. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's do, you, how much do you see this right here? This is what a podcast looks like. If you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're looking, does it, does this look anything like what was going on there? I always have a camera on me wherever, wherever I go. That's probably smart. Yeah, probably. Um, so she's interviewing Wayne, and but really, this part I think they just established that that phone call that was made was from a truck stop and they know Julie was there because they got one of her fingerprints off of a payphone. So they were able to just trace that. It was it was her that, that made the call. Um they go back and show them investigating that and they're talking about how when they were discussing Tom's potential uh suspect that they mentioned something about the backpack being planted at the site as evidence. And Hayes has never mentioned that to the other the other officers before. They just kind of – I don't think they – at that point, it seemed like that they were like, it definitely happened. They were just throwing it out as a as a possibility. But I thought it was interesting because he's never shared that with anybody, and then it just gets brought up. Yes, the pristine backpack theory. Right. And I don't think that Hayes wanted to bring it up at that point or, like, confirm it like, hey, yeah, think about it. We we have this uh, time frame where we can't account for Tom, and then we have the backpack planted at the site. Like they would have just tried to pin it on him that he had motive to do that, and uh, he had the time to do it as well, mm-hmm. and he would have access to said backpack for sure. And that was was it right after that when they go interview head of security. Man at Hoyt Foods. Yeah. They ask him if he had ever seen Tom Purcell while he was, you know, uh, yeah. checking the scene out. And he's like, oh, yeah, I definitely saw that. Yeah, guy saying that he was, like, he was hanging out watching. Yeah. Yeah. By the he way, that standing- character's name is Harris James. Okay, Harris good. Because we will have to. We're going to have to refer to him. old Harris a couple of times here. Yes. Right. Yeah, he he mentions that he's like, yeah, I definitely saw Tom. He was just standing in the field like by himself just watching them go through all the evidence and clear the scene or whatever. Right, which again, yeah. if you're a trial lawyer, that puts him at the scene with, you know, ample time to plant the backpack whenever the opportunity presented itself. So you could you could paint a pretty plausible narrative along those lines. So Harris James is the one that left the force within like a year or two of the crime itself. Yeah. Yeah. To take a job as the head of security at Hoyt Foods. And they never said specifically what his salary was, but it was quite a uh, point of contention for Roland and and uh, Wayne because they said that he was 
insinuated that he was making quite a great deal of money to be running security yeah. at what looks like a pretty, I mean, it's a big outfit, I'm sure, for that part of town, but it looked like a pretty spare overall factory, not something you would need to hire uh, CIA-level no. uh, counterintelligence to run the uh, to run the security department, I wouldn't think. So obviously Hayes is seeing right through that because he the whole time he's basically like, you get paid a lot of money and he's pulling the kind of, what is it exactly that you do here <laughs> other than just sit in this office? Yeah, and he had a great but, office too, a huge, huge office, right. and he's just kind of sitting in there hanging out. Yeah, because I don't think there are many, you know, I, uh, he was in charge of security, but that's not really, I think more safety measures would be more the focus when it comes to employees, not, you know, losing a finger inside a chicken or whatever it is they do there. But he's like say, security. Apparently half the people that work there have lost an eye. So you <laughs> might want to look into that. Yeah. Maybe that was like his KPI for the year was like, let's try to reduce the number of eyes that get pecked out by beaks. Oh, goodness. He had a great um, line in that scene, too. It, it was something about, uh, you know, they asked him, well, you know, asked him why he left the force or whatever. And he, he said something to the effect of like, yeah, well, because I didn't want to spend $15,000 on hemorrhoid cream. And I was like, OK. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Surely it's cheaper than that. Maybe that'll be the next thing I Google. Uh, if I clear okay. the search on the AA chips. I'm going to Google, how does being a police officer give you hemorrhoids? Well, I think the the clear insinuation was that you sit around all day and don't do uh, anything. Well, what the heck is he doing as security at Hoyt Chicken? <laughs> it's just a more comfortable he's chair. He's up and down, up and down, walking the line, making sure. He's I think he's got like the standing desk <laughs> yeah. in there. He got very desk to come over to Hoyt Foods and outfit <laughs> Office. Yeah, would that be like a continuity problem? Is that 1990? There's a very desk in his office. Like some some poor production assistant just really missed that one. He's just walking up and down the lines, like, so chickens, guys. Oh, see you later. We'll go back to my office. Shuffle some more papers around for a few hours. Then lunch. <laughs> So apparently Amelia is already starting to work on another book, a sequel to her original book. Right, which, I mean, if you had a successful book and the case reopened, why wouldn't you want to monetize that? Oh, by the do way, we do, we the think, title? do we think that, uh, real quick sidebar, so I think when we're talking about Wayne, I mean, I think we all agree that the 1990 Wayne is at the height of his attractiveness, but do we prefer 1980 Amelia or 1990 Amelia? 1990 Amelia is solid. Yeah, I think I'm leaning that way too. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm, there's I'm something against 2015 Amelia. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to decline that one. It's off the table. Of course, the way Wayne's memory's going right now, she may be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. She may be sure. doing great. So, Amelia is at, or though this is when she's investigating, right? For her. 1990 book called we i still don't know who did it <laughs> and she goes to like some kind of catholic like home for girls or runaways or something 
Yeah. In my my hot sports opinion on and this this is not just in the case of this movie, but any movie. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of the um the Amy Adams one. I'm blanking on the name real quick. Um, Arrival. No, it was the HBO show. But anyways, whenever they have these Talladega scenes, Nights. that was it. The the girls in those places are way too attractive for what they actually would probably really look like. Um, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Yeah, Inter- interesting, interesting point. Yeah, they wouldn't be runaways anymore. Like, they would be prostitutes. I feel obviously. like they over-sexualize those places. Fair enough. But in that in that scene, she meets a girl who supposedly ran in the same crew as uh, Lucy Purcell, and she says a lot of the same things about, you know, using different names and talking about being a princess and a pink room or a pink castle. Oh, yeah, the story checks out. Yeah, the story is kind of coming along that whatever she's been telling people, like when the first guy said it, you're like, is this guy just making stuff up? But that's kind of checking around with multiple sources now. Yeah. And she referred to herself as Mary Julie, but I think they said she spelled it like Mary July. Yes. She was was also odd. Let's be honest. How old do we think she was at the uh, in 1980 at the event? Supposed to be 10. So she's 20 now. Okay. So, or in 1990, she's 20. I thought she was younger. Ten, she should know how to spell. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I don't know, man. It's Arkansas. Let's risk adjust yeah. for ten She's and Arkansas. Three-finger the... Arkansas, whatever it is. Half the teachers there are just looking for a cop to shack up with. <laughs> Not real interested in teaching. Shoe pick. Not three-finger. Come on. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Whatever. Um, so from there, did we go right to the call from uh, O'Brien? Oh, yes. We, we have to get to this. And this is my I favorite. This is, next, but... was my favorite part of the episode because, first of all, the actor that plays over what perfectly cast character guy is just. You all recognized him, right? Oh, yeah, immediately. Wait, I'm supposed to recognize him? Yeah. We we oh, we sat next to that guy at Devil's Bowl Speedway every time we went out there. How about that long hair that he was sporting? I was a uh, was a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah I, 1990 O'Brien. Oh yeah, yeah, he's definitely the most attractive. <laughs> but he's sitting in this this beaten down diner, and I mean, he looks terrible. He's got just bags under his eyes. I mean, he, I mean, he looks looks like you know. He hasn't hasn't even considered, you know, maybe having like an NO explode and going to the gym. He hasn't been taking care of himself. He's, you know, he's he's smoking a cigarette. He's eating eggs in this diner, and he uh, he tells Roland and Wayne that he's got some information that's really going to help in the investigation. But he needs a very specific amount of money. He needs seven thousand dollars. Yeah, like he's trying to pay the John Benet Ramsey <laughs> ransom or something. You need to get his dog back. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> Update. Still no dog. Oh no. And that guy was there last week with another very extensive sign that I 
I didn't get stopped at the light, so I didn't see what it said. But he's not been confronted yet, but still no dog. So O'Brien clearly doesn't have a very good memory because the last time he tried to give Roland and Wayne some problems, he ended up in the back of a trunk. He no, needs money, a, though. Is that O'Brien? Yeah, that was O'Brien. I thought that was the pedophile no, guy that, that worked pedophile. at the... Oh, yeah. okay. They worked at the kids' Back place. up, delete the last 30 seconds. O'Brien, yeah, they never roughed up O'Brien. They haven't roughed up O'Brien yet. So my, my thought process, despite the fact that I did have a very big detail wrong there, is you know, Eliza has tipped off the fact that O'Brien's body was at some point discovered in the bottom of a quarry. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is great because this is clearly going to be what the event that leads to Wayne and Roland murdering O'Brien and leaving him in the bottom of a quarry. But as things play out, now I'm questioning that maybe that's not exactly what happened. Definitely, uh, uh, Tom Purcell is definitely a suspect in that Yes, now. Tom is now leaping to the top of the list of potential suspects for that murder. Well, who was the guy that, so O'Brien's giving them some information. Or right. He's just telling them how good this information is going right. to be. And it's going to be the greatest information. Yeah, it's only going to be the best <laughs> platinum quality information. He's also very concerned that he could be being watched, he could be being followed. And I'm at this point in the show now, it makes a lot more sense as it wraps up. But at this point in the episode, I'm really struggling to figure out who could possibly care that he's talking to the police about this murder and what he would know because it just seems really strange um, that 10 years later that there would be this, you know, presence following him around and monitoring what he's up to. Well, he he does mention that, hey, you guys are not the only ones looking for Julie. He makes yeah, that he, very clear. He puts a very hard, like, you guys have essentially a matter of days to find her before this unknown group finds her that he keeps alluding to. So Roland and uh, Wayne uh, threaten him a little bit, but then they, uh, they leave to go get their money right. And uh, he's... So uh, but before, before they leave, he gets really nervous. Somebody walks in that diner mm -hmm. because he stops like mid-sentence. And I was... First, before that, I was really distracted by the fact that he would take a huge fork full of eggs <laughs> and be chewing them. And before he even swallowed them would take a drag off his cigarette. That didn't, that didn't look appetizing to you? No, that looks like the worst. Do you thing. like when he was done and he just put his egg or his cigarette right out in the eggs? Just stuck it down I'd in there. The, I would prefer the company of 2015 quarry O'Brien <laughs> over egg smoking, but he's in the middle of a sentence or one of, one of them is. And, they kind of the shot is kind of a little more from a distance, but somebody walks in the diner. They open up the door, and they're walking in, and they stop for like one or two seconds. And he stops immediately, and he's looking in their direction, and he gets really nervous, and he's got to get out there, out of there immediately. But we don't know who that person is. Just that human walked in the door and made him nervous. Right. Yes. They also press him because, as we learned. In the very first episode, he stayed in the little boy's room. They press him about the, the peephole, and they press Tom about it, and both of them gave very defiant, wasn't us, we know nothing about it. And let's say that 
Roland, or not Roland, uh, Hayes now believes it was used to pass notes, which someone named Point oh, yes. Dave said in episode one. Uh, oh, yes. So, so you, you get your trophy now, <laughs> and I get my trophy here in a, in a little bit with my prediction from yeah. one of the last episodes. So if that's the, uh, the whole mystery of the series is that they use the whole to pass notes, <laughs> I'm going to be pretty underwhelmed. But I do want to congratulate no. Point Break Dave on his correct prediction, even if it is a minor plot point. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say I, I call the essentially a red herring that wouldn't produce any kind of nefarious activity. And they've basically been trying to put pin that on everyone they've run into that they were the into people. some kind of weirdness. And it never turned into anything. No, I I I I, I applaud you for for correctly ferreting that out, point break day. They were just passing probably misspelled notes to each other <laughs> when they when they're in this uh diner i was just looking up like kind of a summary episode summary it's got a still shot boy dan o'brien looks a whole lot like bam margera in 1990 and i think it, the still shot they've got on here is when he is fixated on whoever walks in the diner and he's immediately scared of them Oh, but he so, definitely insinuates that there's a lot of things that they either don't know, they need the information, or things that they're assuming, like that Lucy actually overdosed. They're like, yeah, that's a pretty. You're really just assuming that 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 seems pretty, uh, you know, pretty convenient that she, they made it look like it was an overdose type of thing. Kind of the I'm not giving you the whole all the pieces of the puzzle, but I'm just going to leap to conclusions here so do we do we think that the the as tommy pointed out the specific amount of seven thousand dollars is that gonna play into anything or is that just show that o'brien's such an idiot like that's the biggest number he can fathom (laughs) yeah in his in his mind that that's the amount of that's the amount of like unfathomable money that will change his life forever is seven thousand dollars. So I think right after this we go to they've been holding Tom in jail right for twenty four hours right he he is uh he's not they, been they charged but they are holding nope. him yeah they can hold him for twenty four hours uh they let him out of there he asked the cop that lets him out of his cell for something and I can't remember what it was and the cop was just like dude I don't know I, I'm just the guy who lets he people didn't, out he didn't uh it wasn't like he didn't say something about it being like kid stuff and just needed a little help and that's <laughs> not what it was the guard hey can I just stay in prison I kind of there's some things that go on in here that I'm kind of on board with yeah at least until I can be cured yeah so but amazingly and consistently, Tom just happens to stumble upon the secret investigative room and get, like, all the details. Like, he doesn't even have to watch the show. He just gets everything from walking down the hallway, and the police just tell him all the details accidentally. Yeah, do, do, yeah. do you think that the investigation would have gone a lot smoother if they'd have just thrown him in the car and just carried him with him everywhere they went? And, <laughs> like, the whole case is closed in, like, a week. While while he's in the holding cell, they just like bring down all the files and they're like, just so you don't have to swing by the station later. Here, yeah. here's everything we know. Yeah, here's your copy. 
But he figures so out he, he figures out O'Brien's around, and then he also I guess remembers that well if he's here he'll definitely be in this exact room or this exact hotel because this is where he was the last time, and he yes. was right. And why are and people O'Brien, that are supposed to be in hiding always out going to the ice machine? Why is that always a thing? Stay well, in your room. I don't know if you realize this, but he wasn't exactly at the Renaissance. They weren't handing him bottles of water when he walked in. He wasn't like yeah. trying to figure out when the club on the 19th floor was open. No, he's out buying no, a you don't out buying a drink or getting a drink, getting a coke. Yeah, you don't you don't drink the water where he was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where he was staying. But but I think Tom they they covered it up because Tom mentioned that. Oh yeah, real hard to find you. You're staying at the same place when he was. I don't know if when he he was on meth or something like that. That's where he always stayed. Was so on meth. Just, yeah. That, but Tom, that time. Tom actually bows up, shows some balls. He's got a gun. He, uh, he, you know, it's a it's a weird scene because it's like Tom is expressing all this anger, but at the same time, it's like O'Brien really, even after it gets real, like he's still not 100% buying that Tom's capable of actually doing anything about it. Oh, yeah. No, O'Brien's no-selling the whole thing. (laughs) Brother. (laughs) Brother. But, I mean, to the point, like, Tom knew everything. Like, he even alluded to, I'm gonna, you know, I got bullets for every thousand dollars you ask for. Like, he knows everything. He's all caught up. Yeah, yes. painting this very viv- vivid picture about how he's going to do it. and Yeah. But what comes out of that uh, pseudo-interrogation is O'Brien basically is like, I don't really know everything I claim to know. I just know the name of one guy. But that's a pretty important name. It is. And what name was it? Because I don't remember. He didn't say the name, oh. but... Given what happens later, the last name is Hoyt, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so, so yeah, um, somehow Tom has now got a piece of Im- important investigative material before Roland and Hayes have been able to get it. Right. And it's kind of ironic, too, because, you know, for, or Tom's supposed to be the ignorant one that, like, would actually go and try to get the $7,000 and the cops are supposed to be the smart, you know, Hey, we're going to beat it out of you. Don't do it. And then Tom beats it out of him. It is very, uh, yeah. Ironic. As you said, for sure. So I think the next we switch back to 2015 and this is where I want to put the number one in the air as we're at, uh, Wayne's son, Henry's house. Oh yes. Big uh, fan of Henry. Oh yeah. Old Hank. Uh, and Wayne is looking at the, the photo of Dan O'Brien's uh, skeleton. <laughs> and he notices that uh, Eliza and Henry are arguing inside. Because I think Wayne has just stopped an interview. Like, he can't answer anymore. She wants, she's like, I just need five more minutes and we'll have enough. And then she and Henry are kind of going oh, at it. yeah, uh, she needs five more minutes. Yeah. I'll say they're going at it. Um, so then Wayne goes outside and Henry walks out soon after that. And he kind of gives his dad a hard time because he started smoking again and blah, 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 blah. And then Wayne basically just kind of turns to him and says, I know you've been, I know you've been walking with Eliza. <laughs> He's like, how did, how did you know? He's like, well, I was a detective, you know, at one, one yeah. point. 
time. So I can't even remember right where here, I am right now, but the, it was that as, obvious. As I will now be the recipient of the trophy of predicting another very ancillary, possibly not important detail that Henry <laughs> was boning Eliza. They are etching your name on the Stanley Cup of calling unimportant details <laughs> along right next to mine. <laughs> so we've solved, but, we've solved those cases. Yeah, case closed on, on that. But, uh, and hey, congratulations to Henry, by the way. I want to offer my heartfelt congratulations to him. Yeah, he's winning. He, he got to do that. And then his dad just says, oh, yeah, don't tell your wife. That's just going to make things worse. That's good advice. Just, Good just advice. get away with it. Oh, terrible. Um. Yeah, I think that's the last. And then we we're back to yeah. Tom Purcell and then, vigilante. Yeah. So then Tom, in uh, in all of his brilliance, instead of going to the police, going to his confidant Roland at least. No, he's uh he's got he's been he started drinking again. He's full of tea. He's been by the low T center. He's gonna go straight in himself and just break into the uh, the home of the uh, I guess the owner chairman of Hoyt Foods. Yes. If you didn't know it was his house, it says Hoyt on the gate. Yes. Does it say Point Break Dave on the gate at your house? <laughs> I just want to know. know. I, uh, I like my anonymity, so <laughs> it actually says Glenn on the gate. Three underscore eleven. <laughs> But he he walks in. That whole scene was weird when he walks in the yeah. house because there's nobody Cause he, there, he, but it's like they're watching him because you get you know you see the perspective of the surveillance. But it's like no, they were you, also you, expecting him. You definitely get like the shot of like the guy. It's kind of like behind the chair, someone sitting there looking at monitors, very Doctor Claw and Inspector Gadget. Uh, oh. There's a callback for you. All right, but he. Breaks a window, you know, gets in, and they obviously there's no alarm or anything. The guy's just watching him tool through the house until eventually he goes through many doors and back rooms. Right, that are all like a, oddly opened. Yeah, like the they last were door looked him. like a, you know, some kind of heavy safe room. Yeah, some type kind of be yeah, a blast door. And he finds himself in a pink decorated for a child's room. And who do we see? But old Harris Walk is walking up, Harris. up behind him and we fade to black. And all of a sudden now I'm just really wishing that this was one of those Netflix shows where I could just hit play yeah. next episode immediately. Cause yeah, I I'm uh it was a good episode all the way through, but after that happens, I'm just freaking out and I'm fast forwarding like, okay, there's got to be, you know, scenes from next week, something, you know, just give me some kind of clue what's going to happen. Yeah, so, he walks into the, the pink room and he, before Harris, yeah, Harris walks in at the end, uh, Tom does, he's looking up because we're, we're the, the vantage point, we're looking at Tom, we're not seeing what he's seeing and he looks up at the wall and he says, like he, it's like he sees a. I'm assuming is a picture of Julie, and he's very confounded by that. And then yeah, James walks in, and I don't think we have. He just walks in. He doesn't like 
go to strike him or anything like that, right? He just walks no. into the door and then fade to black. Yeah. And I'm so guessing think... Tom's uh that's probably gonna be one of the last times you see Tom as a uh, living breathing member of the show. So I would agree. So before we get into uh, into any more discussion, I want to ask you guys since you've both proven already on this episode that you can clearly predict important plot points of the show. So clearly the uh the owner of Hoyt Foods has gone to a great deal of financial investment to set up this whole thing. There's this this underground area, there's all the surveillance, there's the blast door, they've got the little, you know, kids' homey room set up. Do we think that Lucy Purcell was it, or is this something that's gonna turn into there being a lot of victims? And this you guy Julie? I'm sorry, Julie was was the one and only victim or or this is going to turn into a situation where there's a lot of victims that start to materialize or missing children that are all going to get linked back here. I'll, well, Glenn, do you want to throw your theory first? Cause I have one. No, you, you go ahead. Cause I don't have a theory. Here's yeah, my, his theory is that Henry is going to um, go for the four pointer. Here's <laughs> what I, I stopped at being one and O oh, and then I retired and they started <laughs> raising the banner. Well, I'll uh, I'll throw mine out. Um, and mine's not nearly as uh, as exciting as the potential of a whole lot of missing children and this guy into some real seedy stuff. Mine is uh, whatever president of Hoyt, owner of Hoyt Foods, is Julie's father. Lucy worked there. He knocks her up. He tastefully, tastefully, yeah, obviously, lot, lots of chickens around when it happened. They met, they went to the JP first to make it official, and then they said, "Okay, let's make a let's make a Julie, let's make a chicken baby." So, anyways, being the uh, the um, well-off, successful businessman that he is, is not happy with the situation of, you know, alcoholic, crazy mom and poor mechanic dad in the house that his daughter is living in. So he is, you know, I'm not sure if it's him or one of his minions is doing the meeting the kids in the woods or whatever, but at some point he either accidentally or intentionally kills the boy because he doesn't care. The boy's is not his and then essentially tries to bring Julie into the pink room and raise her as his daughter. So you think that there's nothing, I mean, obviously there's things wrong with this, but you think it was more of him wanting to raise the girl as his own daughter and not any kind of weird deviant behavior. No, I think and, he just... And you're also going on record saying the son, Will's death, was an accident? I... I think he just got so. in the way. He just yeah. got in the way, basically. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, because <gasps> we know that Will was looking for her, oh. right? I thought you were going to say we're not entirely sure that Will is dead. <laughs> no. What a but, twist that would be. But That'd the, be a uh, really odd stance. I don't remember. Who, I guess it was the the uh, death metal teenage group that stole the bike said, well, he was came out of the forest looking for his sister, something, something. 
So I think maybe they took the sister, and then who knows what happened to Will? May, what if it was uh, Woodard? <laughs> Woodard, Woodard did kill was, him yeah. and kept his backpack. But um, no, I think that was it. But then I think Julie didn't wanted to escape because she didn't know where Will. Right, that's the brother, right? Yeah, Will. Yeah. Yeah, she wanted to find Will, so that has always made her not uh, just accept her new living arrangement. That's extensive. Tommy, do you have a theory? Uh, I'll, I'll go, just, just to be contrarian, I'm going to go opposite of Point Break Dave, and I'm going to say, even though I actually really like Point Break Dave's theory, <laughs> If I was going to buy stock, I'd buy stock in that theory. But no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go contrarian and say this uh, is a habitual behavior that Harris has been helping him cover up and lead on for years. Maybe it started with uh, Julie, but um, there's been more over over the course of time, and that's why he's being compensated so well to uh, to keep this from happening. I also think that Tom is dead uh, within the next. Uh, 15 minutes of showtime and um, they never did show what happened to O'Brien. Right. So we don't know if Tom killed him or not. That's good. They have to wrap that up too. Yeah. But O'Brien, you know, O'Brien maybe got the, got the Hoyt hit put out on him. If he, if he, if uh, you know, if Tom squeals and says how he figured out to come there and that's how O'Brien ends up in the quarry. I think that's possible. But we all think, that Roland and Hayes are going to kill O'Brien. No, I don't think so. I think Roland and Hayes are going to kill Harris. That's what I think is going to happen. That's interesting. I think that's going to be the one because there was a comment, there was a comment when they were older and he said something about, they mentioned Harris's name and he said, well, what are you going to say about that? You know, like that there, that there was some kind of a knowledge that they knew there was something more to that. So, no, I think I think the Hoyt the Hoyt Foods uh, hit hit team is going to take care of O'Brien and Tom, and that uh, Harris will be killed by uh, by Roland and 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 uh, Wayne. Yeah, because there's still the mention of there was mention of something that Wayne did that hasn't been revealed, mm-hmm. and there's also there was the mention of what Julie and her father did in 1990, and has that been revealed yet? No. And another thing that we didn't touch on that I don't know if we'll go anywhere, but when 1990 Amelia is doing her book signing, a angry member of the crowd starts yelling at her. Is that the guy, the dead eye guy from the, or is it a different dead eye guy? Well, I heard there's I mean, lots of them. Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming it's the same individual. So but why does I, that I don't guy know care so much all of a sudden? I have no idea. And is that I think that's just a that's just to distract us. I don't think that I don't think that's going anywhere. <laughs> Distracted me cuz the dead eye, man, I can't I can't get yeah. around it. Yeah, that's uh that's a tough one. So, um I don't have any theories. I'm just going to sit back and You're going to sit, sit back, back and, and watch with your 1000 winning percentage and we'll see where I, right. where it goes from here. We'll be, yeah. we'll be back next well, week to uh to recap episode seven and get prepped for the finale, but uh final question on true detectives to you two. Do we get an explanation at the end? Or is it gonna end with 
2015 Roland and Hayes sitting at Roland's weird dog sanctuary just shooting rats off the <laughs> trees again. It ends the way it began. <laughs> yeah. He, like, asked him, like, so what ended up happening with that? And Wayne's <laughs> like, I don't remember. The end. <laughs> exactly no we'll get it we'll get answers that this show's usually pretty good now in season two the answers weren't as plentiful as season one but yeah i think we'll get we'll get clarity as to what happened so do we want to just do like five quick minutes on elimination chamber 2019 well yeah because i feel like for our next episode we'll be getting a few quick minutes on live event reporting from glenn glenn three underscore 11 so by all means yeah. yeah we we should have predictions so I know you've got Ruby Riot beating Ronda clean in the middle Thanks. for the With belt. The riot kick. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's gonna be a riot kick. It's gonna throw. It's gonna throw the WrestleMania main event into even more doubt because now it'll be Charlotte versus Ruby Riot, while Becky's <laughs> suspended and Ronda's moved down on the card in a preliminary match, maybe in like a right. battle royal or something. She'll be in. She'll be in the opener against yeah. Sonya Deville. <laughs> And Bailey. Yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of Bailey, the bad. the boss and hug connection will be the first ever women's tag team champion. So, the, like, you can put that in six inch letters. You know what? I hate to say it, but I think you're right because now they're coming in first in the uh, right. chamber, and they're gonna have to make it all the way story. Yeah. Now the the behind the scenes thing that I'm sure you guys are aware of because you read the same Twitter accounts I do is that. Sasha Banks not cleared for full contact yet. And that's why the last two weeks they've done this weird story where she hasn't really been involved in the match. So if something were to happen where she wasn't cleared to compete by Sunday, then I, I, uh, my bet goes to off. So there's no action (laughs) if, if she's not cleared to compete that they might go a different direction. But I think barring, you know, barring any setbacks where she can't, then yes, they will win that match. So real quick, because I didn't think this was the case at first, but now that is going to be all the teams in the chamber at once, right? Yeah, for sure. Because at first I thought they were doing some kind of like tournament, but yeah, that's going to be a, you get Tamina and Nia Jax in the same pod. It's going to be a little cramped in there, man. It's going to be like some cracks in the glass. Yeah. They may have bring the, the first team in just because of like logistically they're like, uh. Can't get the door closed. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right there. I, I don't think the, uh, I don't think the Riot Squad is going to win one because they're not going to win without Ruby being in the tag. But I, I think in that women's championship match that, um, I think that's going to end in some kind of disqualification. Like I think Rhonda's gonna have Ruby down, and then all of a sudden the other two are gonna pop up out of nowhere, and then all three of them are just gonna beat the hell out of her to get revenge for what happened on Raw a couple weeks ago. Well, that would be a way to protect protect Ruby's uh, immaculate one loss record, but uh, also not not create any more confusion that has to be sorted out before WrestleMania. There's plenty of that in that match already. So here's the next question. Will there be a Becky Lynch appearance? Yes, of course. I just don't know. In, I don't I know in what capacity. In what I don't know in what capacity, but they have to do something to get her back into the match. So I don't well, know if that kinda... happens later or if it happens, you know, 
right before, but I would assume just to sell tickets and sell interest in the show, they're going to want to have her build in the match before the, you know, night before the um, event takes place. I was kind of wondering if they might use her to, like you said, the disqualified or DQ finish. Ooh, because good idea. They, they are trying to do a very similar bit with her to the old Austin McMahon. Like it's her against the corporation essentially. Mm-hmm. So they could do a bit where like she runs in like, Hey, I'm going to ruin every title fight there is until you put me in the mania match. Be a good storyline. Yeah. So no, and she's suspended. It. So her music's not going to kick in and she's not going to run down because she's suspended. So she's got to walk down one of the, uh, in one of the sections so let's say she's walking down like by 108 or wherever I'm sitting. As much as I love Bex, <sighs> how much would it would I get as I see her walking down if I walk out from my seat, which I think we're kind of on the edge, and just claymore her as <laughs> she's and just lay her out. Like this is the weirdest thing we've ever seen. Daniel Bryan just claymore kicked <laughs> Becky Lynch in the stands. But what a leg okay, first of all, I'm going to jail. And I'm gonna Honestly. I'm right. gonna get an assault. And your charge, son, yeah, but... your son is gonna be taken into child protective services. <laughs> but think of what a legend and that would be banned from all WWE events forever. Or, or they'd put you into the storyline because they're like, Well, we gotta we gotta see where this thing goes. What a legend I would be with people who don't like <laughs> Becky Lynch. Here's the guy. <laughs> Who Claymore kicked her at the pay-per-view. Or how about this? How about the 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 spot is supposed to be her breaking up a pin and Ruby Riot's got Rhonda down and they're just laying there waiting for Becky Lynch and then no three count <laughs> Ruby Riot's your champion and it's all because of you. Oh what a day. The celebration at the Renaissance that night would be legendary. Man. So I think some of the other matches we have the uh Strowman versus Baron Corbin. We must end this storyline yes, finally match. Just keep them out of the ring together. Good grief. So I I think that's the one that they should come out and uh it lasts about two minutes and then Strowman power slams him through the ring and then that's it. I that's what needs to happen. Um Do we have we got Shane and Miz versus the Usos, right? Yeah, I'm good either way there. I, I'm I'm That'll all, be a good match. I think they're I'm gonna aligned they're with gonna, the Usos penitentiary. They're gonna keep the belts on Chain and Miz through WrestleMania. I think that's too big of an attraction not to. But yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'm I'm good either way, but I don't see anything happening any shakeups happening there. Uh we have Finn Balor against Lashley and Leo Rush. In a handicap match. My hope but he can pin either one. Yes, right? my hope here is that Finn will win the belt by pinning Leo Rush because I think that's a great that would be a great way to save every face for everyone and also hopefully create some funny storylines between Bobby and Leo, which I could get on board with because I am starting to be a member of the Leo Rush fan club. Well, I my theory is that um, when this takes place, we'll be at least 11 days too early before taking the belt off of Lashley. So I don't think it's happening. (laughs) Unless Finn comes out as the demon. And then I think, I think the storyline will be Leo Rush will be so scared of him 
he won't want to like get in the ring. And then Finn takes the belt. Oh. So by that by that logic is is Kofi going clean in the chamber? <laughs> He's gonna win the belt, beat everyone. Uh so is that so we covered one, two I'm trying to think of what we're missing. I think that's the only one that's left is the, the main event, right? Yeah. And I don't I I, I don't I know feel like why Brian's gonna retain. Yeah, I don't know why they always do this because you want the title picture to be clear before WrestleMania, and then you make him defend the title in a you know five-handed against five other people in a crazy gimmick match with basically all the other people he's faced for the title in the last six months. It just it doesn't make much sense. But yeah, I don't. And of course, I'll probably be wrong in this prediction. But yeah, I don't see any other reason, or I don't see any other point if he doesn't come out as the champion. I just don't see the point in advancing the story any other way. So yeah, I mean they'll probably have a, it'll probably be awesome to see live, and it'll be a great match, and Kofi will be flying all over the place, and it'll get a lot of good intrigue. But yeah, I think I think in the end Daniel Bryan probably comes out with the belt. Maybe we find out another member of his new faction. You know, maybe maybe something like that happens. There's some foul play, but yeah, I think he comes out winning. Yeah, I was wondering about that if we get either Rowan or a new member coming from under the ring or some nonsense to help Bryant win it. Rowan with the recycle material symbol <laughs> as the O name. Just, that is pure genius. I think it's going to come down to Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe are going to be the last two. Hey, and then, well, you want to talk about a win-win situation for me. Yeah. Because I've been clamoring for them to put the belt on Joe for the last year. They so. couldn't hook it. <laughs> wouldn't fit yeah i don't i don't right now i don't think any titles are changing hands oh they wasted all that money building the hemp title you think they're gonna just give it to somebody else no kidding (laughs) yeah that is a pretty awesome title. (laughs) it's the best title since john cena had the spinner title (laughs) very true get one of those for alexa bliss next uh, (laughs) whoa yeah next uh next week you have a full report from the lovely city of Houston that I'm a I'm a huge fan of crosswalks yeah. and everything. If you li- listen to this po- <laughs> if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, you'll know that Glenn has frequently gone on record of his admiration of the city. And through the match down on the floor, wish I knew what you were wishing.